You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, The Sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. Stop the pigeon, 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 how? Nab him, jab him, jab him, grab him, stop that pigeon now. Introducing our Pigeon Radio Australia presenter and executive producer of the show, Ivan Fonti. to all our listeners of Pigeon Radio Australia, the only sporting, devoted sporting racing Pigeon Radio show in the whole entire world. That's Pigeon Radio Australia. We have an exciting show for you today. We have someone coming on, Paul Gibbs, who is the publicity officer of the Australian National Pigeon Racing Board coming on to tell us what's happening there. And also we've got Dr. Rob Marshall coming on to tell us about use-by dates on medications and use-by dates on vitamins and if you can put them in the loft and they don't go off and all that sort of stuff. So we'll hear from that as well. We're also resurrecting an interview we did in 2015 with one of the greatest pigeon flyers in Australia and that's Graham Davo Davison. So let's get on with the show. Stop the pigeon, 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 how? Nab him, jab him, jab him, grab him, stop that pigeon now. And it's a very good morning to my co-presenter here on Pigeon Radio Australia, and that's Tony Barbara. Good morning, Tony. How are you? Good, Ivan. Good morning to you. Good morning to all the listeners and everybody around the world. And how's your birds going, Tony, at your place? Well, the birds are all right. Anyway, I just took out the young ones this morning, the late breads. Anyway, I gave them a bath. I finished up the window. <laughs> And they disappear very quickly. So they're flying well, are they? No, no, they, these are delayed breaths. You, you know, just they took up for the first time. Oh, yeah, so. good. Anyway, we're going to go and have a look at some media stuff, and uh, we'll be back after the break.
sprinkler on a hot December day. A forex from the esky while you watch those children play. Sizzling on the barbie, cooking snacks and chops. Cricket on the radio, we're taking on the bombs. When the run that wins the ashes, cracks right off the bat. I'm a bit more Aussie than that. Sinking down, hot and red as fire. Table on the billy, damper in the coals. That rusty red nose shooting sun shot up full of holes. Fanning up the campfire with an old Cooper hat. I'm a bit more Aussie than that. Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rhonefried Pigeon Products. Rhonefried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeon's inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 035-998-1000 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM Sponsor For all your pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. 
you'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 9464 2439. Southern FM sponsor. Keep your pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The Applied Nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. Your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Meat. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tara Meat stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Toulon Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484-340-551. Southern FM sponsor. Hey, what you doing, Dad? Hmm? Oh, I'm painting the deck. Why? Because the varnish protects the wood from the sun. Why? Because sunlight in Australia is really strong. Why? Well, because it's full of dangerous UV rays. Oh. Dad, shouldn't you also protect yourself then? When you cover things, they last longer. Same goes for you. Be sun smart. Save your skin. You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia. Broadcast from Melbourne, Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, The Sounds of the Bayside. Stop the pigeon, 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 stop the pigeon now. Grab him, jab him, tap him, grab him, stop that pigeon now. You're tuned to Pigeon Radio Australia here on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside in Melbourne, Australia. And our website address at Pigeon Radio Australia is www.pigeonmedia.com.au. We have a very special guest on the line from the Australian National Racing Pigeon Board, and he is now being appointed the Publicity Officer of the Australian National Racing Pigeon Board, and I'm talking about Paul Gibbs. Welcome, Paul. Good morning to you, and welcome to Pigeon Radio once again. Thank you very much, Ivan, and good morning to you and all your listeners. Thanks for the opportunity. No problem, mate. I, we'd like to hear what's going on with the board. So can you tell us what, what's, what's going on with the board and what's going to be happening with the Australian National Racing Pigeon Board in the future? Well, I'll try and fill you in as much as I can. But as I mentioned to you uh, earlier in a phone call, I, I, I thought it'd be a good idea just to give a brief overview to listeners, especially those people who are not uh, pigeon fancies at the minute. Hopefully we can win them over. Yeah, and that's a little bit of background for the Australian National Racing Pigeon Board. That'd be fantastic, mate. Well, the board, as pigeon fans just probably are aware, was established in 2015, which is not that long ago, and it was in response to the federal government. Uh, they wanted us to develop an Australian-wide uh, standard and guidelines for the keeping and care of livestock and poultry, of which pigeons are part of. 
But in 2016, the border became an incorporated body, uh, legalising you know, most of the uh, the functions of a, of a board and become corporate, more legal. But I'd say over the last five years, which I'm not including this year in that, of course, we only just started, but over the last five years since its incorporation, there have been several changes to the board members, which has been a little bit disruptive. And currently there's nine board members with representation in all states other than Tasmania, which we're working on to try and get representation down there. And within the individual states, there are also regional uh, delegates such as myself, and I look after or try to look after and communicate with all the regional clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, There are board members that are just looking after the larger, like the capital cities, Melbourne, Adelaide and so forth, but there are a lot of clubs within the regions of the states that need um, some uh, representation, and I'm one of those for um, for the state of New South Wales. But in the last five years, uh, have not been you know, have been difficult for everybody, uh, for not just for pigeon fans, as you're aware, but also you know for, for people in general with the uh, yeah. COVID pandemic. Uh, you, you poor guys down there, and people down in Victoria have had the the worst of the lockdowns, and and, and you know what it's all about. But with the pigeons, has also been the last few years the, the rotavirus outbreak, which has uh, devastated quite a few pigeons and, and pigeon fanciers. And these are all things that have been compounded, um, you know, in, in that short period of time. In many ways, the board has performed, I believe, extremely well with fundraising, which was helped, which helped very much in the development of the rotavax vaccine and the funding uh, of the Animals in War Memorial Plaque, which I want to talk about a bit bit later on. But they funded a brass plaque uh, to um, commemorate and celebrate animals in war, especially pigeons, and that's located in the grounds of the Australian War Memorial in Canberra. And they've also been working hard on the development of the National Code of Practice for the keeping of pigeons yep. and, and on the development and updating of the, the board's constitution. And so there's a fair bit of work being done over that period of time, like I say, with all those disruptions that have taken place. But the main aim of the board is to represent the Australian Racing Pigeon Fraternity with its primary objectives being the protection, welfare and improvements of the sport of pigeon racing in Australia. Now, now, now I just want to ask you there, um, there's a lot of like pigeon fanciers going around saying, oh, it's a self-appointed board and it's not voted in. But it's not It's not like that, is it? It's It's actually, it is voted in, isn't it? Yeah, originally they were looking basically for people to be nominated or volunteers. It's like any unpaid position. Uh, you know, trying to fill these positions is not always easy. Um, but now it's becoming, you know, now it's sort of settled down a lot more now. Like I said, we had uh, quite a few changes of board over the last couple of years. People have, have, have come and gone and haven't stayed there very long. But no, now it's um, up and running officially and properly. Uh, you know, you, you need to, to, to stand and, and people need to be voted on to take on a position. So it, it is work in progress, as they say. Things don't happen overnight and trying to get no. people in any sporting uh, organisation, trying to get volunteers is very hard. So sometimes you're looking, you know, to someone to be asked to go on it um, and, and 
I'm assuming quite a few of those who have been asked over the years have said no for whatever reasons. It's a, it's a commitment of time. And, um, yeah, so it's not always easy to find people. But, no, it, it's it's been done properly, you know. Now, during the COVID outbreak around Australia, um, most um, federations and clubs have found when they've tried to contact the government to try and establish, because all around the world they've had COVID in England, in Belgium, Germany, Netherlands, and all those countries were able to raise their pigeons. And we were the only country in the whole wide world uh, that, that wasn't able to raise pigeons. And the main reason that most of the state governments gave was that uh, we were a hobby and not a sport. Now, I know that the board is working very hard and intensively to get pigeon racing recognised as a sporting body. Well, that's true, Ivan. I mean, correspondence has been uh, been taken place between uh, the federal government representatives and the board. Um, you know, correspondence has been going to and fro. And we're hopeful um, that things might turn in our favour, but apparently there's a hell of a lot of paperwork. I mean, Greg sent us out some information today on email about what's involved, and it's quite in-depth. They don't sort of just recognise things overnight and say, you're a good group of people, we'll we'll recognise it officially as a sport. Um, My biggest concern is that the minute with all the negotiations that are happening, which look positive at this stage, is, as you know... You know, there's a federal election coming up this year. Could be a change of government, yeah. change change of ministers, yeah, yeah. and there could be any sort of disruption, you know, to the plan. Yeah, I mean, you might have to go back to to step one and start again. I don't know. Greg's more up to date with the correspondence that's happening there, but I think it's really important to all pigeon fans is that the the hobby or the sport we like to call it a sport gets truly recognised officially as a sport. And there are benefits, a lot of benefits, like not only just gaining grants from government, sporting bodies and whatever else, but I think there's a lot of other benefits with regards to the protection of racing pigeons. And to me, that's one of the important factors. You know, we haven't always got a good press with pigeons. And I think if um, it become recognised properly as a sport, that um, you know, pigeon racing or pigeons that race become a protected animal like they were you know, years ago. I've, I've downloaded stuff off the internet where state governments, federal governments, you know, have had a protection law for pigeons. If we can return back to that, that would be good. I'm hopeful mm. that with the perseverance and, and the right um, approach, but uh, no, probably won't happen in the short term, but I'm hopeful we'll get there. I think it's important because overseas, now quite a few of these organisations in Europe, it's, it's regarded as a sport and has been for many years. It is, and they refer most of the uh, top flyers in in Europe refer to it as pigeon sport. Yeah, yeah, and they're surprised. People when you talk to them in general are surprised at times when you say that the patron of the the um, the pigeon main pigeon body in England is Her Majesty the Queen. Yeah, she's the patron of the, the Royal Racing. Pigeon well, that's my argument. When we get a complaint from a council, I always say to them, "I said our head of state races pigeons, so how can you tell somebody that they can't have them?" You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's 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 difficult, but we we will we'll soldier on. There's no doubt about that, and I think 
you know, deep down will be successful, but it'll take a bit of time, I think. Well, like everything, uh, you know, we've just established this board, and like everything, it's going to it's got to mature with time and, and, and establish itself with government bodies and then establish itself with whoever wins the election. Yeah, and I think all major federations, it's a bit hard for, for country clubs and small um, federations outside of the metropolitan area to really become proactive and, and to put a lot of resource into promoting the sport. But I've often been of the, of the opinion that the large federations do not do enough to promote the sport, you know, as a sport, promote it, advertise it, market it. There's a little bit of it gone on in, in Victoria. I'll, I'll give them um, give, give them credit there. That, that, um, is it the Victoria uh, Victorian Racing Racing the Pigeons Victoria, the the people yeah. that run the hundred thousand dollar race. Yeah. When they put those advertisements on the sides and the back of buses, I thought that's the most positive thing that's been done for pigeon racing in Australia for many many years. You know, mm. we just don't. I know when I was an, an apprentice, you know, many, many years ago now, when I used to sit on the train, you know, to go to tech, used to get the Monday paper, and the major papers always had the pigeon results. You know, now you don't even get pigeon results in the local I paper. was just about to say that to you, Paul. Um, I remember as a kid, I used to be in the Victorian Homing Association as a young person. I was only like 10 or 12 years old, and I was a member of the Springvale homing club and uh, i remember i used to open up the uh, melbourne age our morning saturday paper and you'd be able to go to the uh, sporting section and find the pigeon racing results for nearly all of australia yeah, that was yeah that was good someone was doing the job properly back then i, I get annoyed say I'm, i don't belong to a club or federation now but um because I'm, I'm pretty isolated although i could join the local uh group here but I'm not racing pigeons, so I haven't really bothered. But I'm always uh, amazed that the amount of clubs and federations, when they have their AGM, vote in a publicity officer. And I often think, what the bloody hell have they done at the end of the yeah, year? you're right. Exactly what right. It's done? just a title, I think. I think yeah. they're just taking a title and not doing anything with it. No, I think it's a, you know, and it's a special job. It really is a special job you know, to put a bit of effort in. I mean, probably... People who buy the pigeon magazines over the last few years probably know that I've, I've put in, I don't know, I think last time I looked at my computer, I've written about 300 stories for various pigeon magazines. But I'm always, people, and it's funny, you get some negative comments sometimes and people say, what are you doing all that for? You know, I say, well, pigeon racing is something that's given me a lot of enjoyment. I've met and made a lot of good friends. I still have. They're lifelong friends. I talk to pigeon flies nearly every day on the phone. And I said, I'd like to put something back. I said, someone's got to do something. I said, it might be only a small contribution, but I'm always looking to put something back. And I can honestly say I've never got anything out of it, but that's not the point. You know, the, the, I don't think there's enough people that put uh, a little bit of effort, Not a, don't have to put a lot, but a little bit of effort back into promoting the sport. Well, um, I get people telling me, why are you doing this radio program, you know, and... Uh, I said, because I want to promote the, the sport within the community. And I said, the best way to do anything for promotion within the community is to get a community radio program and promote it. No, I think you've done very, very well. I don't know if there's another um, radio program like it in the world. I don't, no, I there's know. not. There's not. There is not a radio. There was one in Canada uh, about 10 years ago. 
or 15 years ago, they had one, yeah. uh, but it, it's sort of folded after a while. Uh, mm. And now the Pigeon Radio Australia is the only devoted racing pigeon radio show in the whole entire world. Well, I hope you keep it up for a long, long time, Ivan. Well, I tell you, I've got this young kid from Horsham now. He's joined the team and uh, he's only 14 years old. And I've already told him, I said, something happens to Ivan. I said, you see all this equipment in my studio here? He said, yeah. I said, you take it and take over and keep it yeah. going. So, yeah, that's what's that's mm-hmm. that's what I've planned anyway for the radio program. Yeah, yeah. I say it's amazing, you know. I've had a few moves over the years, different locations. You know, I've been up here once before, and I moved back to Sydney, and I moved back up here, all the time with different neighbours. And the neighbours are usually really surprised when you start telling them all about pigeon racing. And you try you try not to make it too involved because you, you'll lose them. But you know, they're fascinated. They really because they had no idea. Well, Paul, I can tell you that sometimes I toss my birds down at uh, Frankston Beach. I don't know if you know Melbourne in uh, Melbourne suburbs, but Frankston Beach is a pretty popular area. And I pull up there with a unit full of birds, and uh, I always have a crowd of people coming over to question me about, oh, where are they from and where are they going and how do they find yeah. their way home? They're fascinated with, with the whole yeah. concept. They really are, you know, and I say, and that's that's the problem. We, we just don't do enough. You know, we're not getting the message out there, and I, I hope things improve with your radio program, hopefully with with input from the board. I mean, the board's, I still say, even though it's basically five years old, it's still in its infancy. And that, like I say, said earlier, that there has been a few disruptions. Things don't run as smoothly as you'd like because of external problems that have arisen, of course. But hopefully if there's a good run in the next few years and the board members stay, the current lot of board members, then we can start to get things going a bit more and, and satisfy uh, not just Pigeon Fancy's needs but try and do more ourselves as far as promotion and, and marketing the sport. Well, I've, I've spoken with Greg and I've told Greg that, uh, and he's accepted my offer. I said, you can use my radio program to promote anything you want for the Australian National Racing Pigeon Board. And uh, we're going to run some community service announcements uh, featuring things that you want to feature, like the Australian National Racing Pigeon Board want to feature to the general public. Mm. I think, too, that the, well, I was going to mention it a bit later on, but I'll bring it up now because we're talking about membership and that sort of stuff. Is the boards looking to join the Federation, what are they call them, Columbine? Columbine? Well, funny you should say that, right, because I'll tell you something. I've been contacted by the president of the Maltese Racing Pigeon Federation, who is a member of the International Racing Pigeon Board, and he's asked me, can you please send me names of people that could represent Australia on our board? And they're very interested in having an Australian representation. Well, years ago we were. I know the old Pigeon uh, Fanciers Association, which originally Geraldine Henshaw ran it and ended up, you know, with, with a couple of other guys and Alex has a party, I think was the last one. They used to be a member because they had the letterhead and uh, any, any official letters had to go out where you needed a little bit of pull. They used to use that letterhead, but I think it's been lapsed since the association. Yep, you know, you're right. It has been lapsed, and the people on the international board don't know who to contact now in Australia to get anybody to to be on it. But that sort of, to me, that sort of membership of an international body, which which is a quite a powerful body in Europe, 
that carries a bit of weight. So when, you, when you're uh, dealing with local authorities, state, federal, uh, and you put that you're a member and you've got all the certification of this particular international body, that gives you a lot more credence, you know, something more to back up your argument with. You're not just a, you know, a tin pot organisation. You know, you're internationally linked. Well, the, the fella from Malta told me that the FCI now is sort of equal to what um, FIFA is to soccer. Yep. In Europe. Yep. That's how much it's recognised in Europe. No, I think it would be great. Um, I know one of the board members is working particularly hard. He's doing all the correspondence with, with uh, gaining the membership. I'm just hopeful that, um, you know, I don't think we'll have a problem, but I think it's... Um, no, no they're, scream, they're screaming for Australian representation on that board. They are screaming for it. Yeah, I can tell you. Well, you talk about representation. The only thing I'd like to see Australian pigeon fanciers do is join the board, become a member, you know, because it's um, the more members you've got on, on your books, the more powerful and, and the more interested it, it looks when you're dealing with, with people. You've got all these members officially, um, you know, and... and I still think we as a board, we need to, to get out there more and have Pigeon Fancies join as members of the board. And then, you know, you talk about, oh, our board members voted for. Well, in a real sense, it's like being in a club. You can't vote for your club president unless you're a member. Correct. You know, so you've got to gain Well, membership. I always tell people that they've set up an, they set up an interim committee and now that interim committee is doing things so that it's a democratically elected board but i said they have to start somewhere yeah well that's right it's, it's moving in that direction i mean when, when a new pigeon club starts from scratch you know those people are self-appointed correct well, any yeah, cl- so. any club you you have seven members to, to create a quorum for a meeting and uh, they're all, always self-appointed to establish mm-hmm. a new club or federation yeah. But I'd really like to see, you know, fancies in general apply. They can do it online, the membership applications on the board's website, and, and just join. You know, it's um, because of strength in numbers. Yeah. Always strength in numbers. Yeah. Right. And is there a membership fee for joining, or how does that work? Well, I'm not sure exactly what it is now, um, to be honest with you, Ivan. Um, I'm, I'm assuming there would be. Um, but it's not advertised on the, the board's website. I think just in general inquiry, you'd, you'd soon find out. Yep, yep, no, that'd be good. Now, tell us a little bit more about what the board's been doing in regards to the War Memorial and the Pigeons of War. All right, well, I'm, I'm just going to give you a bit of background again, and I'm leading towards it. I said in, in the... Um, in the lead-up to commemorating the uh, Animals in War Day, you know, it's um, you've got to, to provide people with a bit of background to what it's all about. A lot of people are really surprised when you say there's a Purple Poppy Day and they say, what's Purple Poppy Day? And, I'm, and I've got a feeling that some of the local RSLs and that don't have a clue either, you know. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's in Australia it's virtually... New, I'd say, you know, it hasn't been that long since we've been um, commemorating the animals in War Day. But I'm, I'm hopeful that things change in, in, say, from this year onwards, you know, that we sort of get things going a bit. But, um, but the animals in War Day in many areas is known as, as Purple Poppy Day. 
and the wearing of a purple poppy is recognised to commemorate the animal's services and sacrifices in much the same way as a red poppy day when we celebrate um, or, or remember Anzac Day and Remembrance Day. So it's basically, and it's on, it's on the 24th of February, so it doesn't clash with Anzac Day and Remembrance Day. It's a day of its own. In Australia, it's the 24th of February. Overseas, I think it's a, it's a different date because of the um, time of year. But, you know, when you look at overseas, you can get on the internet, and I've done it many times. In Europe, there are many monuments dedicated to pigeons alone that served in both world wars. And some of the uh, beautiful old stone monuments, you know, um, you can see many of them are in Belgium, Holland, France, going back to the First World War when they really honoured the service that the pigeons provided. But it wasn't until about 2004 that in the UK they unveiled a monument in London near Hyde Park that was dedicated to all the animals that served and lost their lives in both world wars. So National Day for War Animals in Australia is is not being um, commemorated for all that long a period of time. I think that the uh, on a national level in Australia, it wasn't until about 2009 that uh, a monument of a horse's head uh, has been um, placed in the Canberra War Memorial Gardens uh, and it was commissioned and placed in the lawn area adjacent to the main area or entry area to the War Memorial. And this monument was to highlight you know, the horse's military uh, history, especially the horses from the Light Horse Brigade that served in Middle East and Africa, Egypt, through that particular area. And things started to move a bit from there. I think 2015, there, there was a lovely uh, monument just outside what they call Poppy's Cafe at the War Memorial of one uh, with a dog handler and his dog, and it was to to recognise explosive dog detection uh, that mainly through Afghanistan mm. in recent conflicts, yeah. and that's a lovely, lovely um, monument. Yeah, it is. Yeah, no, no. I've seen, I've seen that on the internet. It is a lovely monument. Yeah. yeah. And a bit later on, I say things keep progressing. Uh, 2019, there was another one um, for dogs, and it was a flat one, like a circular disc in the lawn, and it had dogs' footprints running all around it, and it's called Circling Into Sleep, which is um, a recognised of dogs. Normally they'd go around in a circle before they flop down and go to sleep. And that's a lovely <coughs> monument for the, <coughs> pardon me, for the dogs, but within that monument too is the ashes of one of the military dogs, you know, that um, that served and then, you know, went to a handler to keep after its service was done and it passed away. And that dog's name was Ozzy and the ashes are... Uh, in, in within that memorial, and that's quite a good one. <clears throat> and just not far from that particular memorial, and it was two thousand. We're talking about two thousand and twenty now. Is the pigeon plaque, which the um, the Australian National Racing Pigeon Board uh, funded um, to have made a brass plaque that's embedded in the ground, surrounded by a marble surround, and it's to you know remember. Not just the pigeons, but the handlers of pigeons, the trainers, and and the donors of pigeons, you know, that served um, in the war. Yeah, so it, it's progressed, you know, from a few years that it's moved along, and it's and it's been difficult. It's taken a while for all these things to happen, but bit by bit by bit, I think 
people in general are starting to recognise the effort and the work that, and the sacrifices that animals provided in, in all major conflicts. You know, and it's good to see that now we're starting to recognise and, um, you know, remember those animals, not, not just pigeons but all animals. Yeah, that's true. But um, I, I know after talking to one of the historians at the War Memorial on, on this very program that uh, she told me that... Um, they do have the actual pigeons, the two birds that that got awarded the uh, Dickon Medal, um, but they're in the back room somewhere. They're not on display. Is there any chance that those birds will be out on display so that the people can see these pigeons that, that won the Dickon Medal? Because Dickon Medal, as we know, is the equivalent of the Victorian Cross. Mm-hmm. Well, the board's trying. I think the last, last I've, I've been to the past two um, animal Days at the, down at Canberra. And the last one I went to, they did have a display in the main foyer area, but unfortunately due to COVID, um, the, the administrator said they've got a lot more stuff down in their archives, which they didn't think worthwhile putting on display at the time because there was a limited number of people allowed into the memorial. And to, to, you know, to, to go to all the trouble to put it on display made it a bit hard. That did have a, a minimal, you know, um, Exhibition there, pigeon basket, one of the birds. You know, oh, I think that was featured on your website with Greg standing next to it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, it was. It was. I'll put it this way: it was better than nothing, but we expected a lot more. But we understood the situation with the COVID. You know, so we're hoping. That, and again, this year, I don't think things will change much. We're still no. sort of tied. So, and I don't think um, I wasn't going down to Canberra this year, and I don't think Greg was, and a couple of the other guys that went last year. I think we're waiting now to when we can organise things a little more, and um, and I think the War Memorial is quite happy, um, you know, to do a bit more. They've made extensions to the War Memorial. You may have, may have known, or people have been in the last year or two will notice it's quite a large. Uh, amount of extensions gone on and exhibitions. Um, but I, I remember talking to someone down there about that um, that banner, the pigeon banner, and they did, the, the family of Keith Wrightson wanted to know whether War Memorial would like to have the banner. But because the banner wasn't a regimentally approved banner, yeah. they <laughs> didn't really, you know, uh, didn't really want it. And they said, even if it was, they said, we've got that much stuff donated it's all in archives, and a lot of that stuff will remain in archives and maybe never be put on display because it's just too much. Mm. You know, mm. so I can understand to some extent, you know, but... Um, well, no, I well, dare say, Paul, way. that um, if there is another war, electronic stuff fails, <laughs> as I know, because I work with electronics all the time, and it does fail. It's not foolproof, right? And uh, I know that I've read a story from China that China has bought 2,000 birds from Belgium to establish a pigeon corps in China. So I dare say that uh, pigeons will be used again if there is any outbreak of war. Well, China's not silly. And I know I I read a story and I wrote a story from one of the magazines with regards to to whether Australia should, you know, reintroduce a pigeon corps. Um, I think there's a a couple of countries in Europe that, that keep a small... Pigeon Corps. Switzerland. But as, yeah, but mainly as a, um, uh, what's the word? Symbolic? Yeah, symbolic. 
um, you know, I think France has got one, Switzerland I know has got one, and one or two others. Now, keep so many pigeons there as a symbolic gesture. But I know one of the one of the politicians in France was was saying that um, you know should should there be a need at any time for um, the pigeon service, they know that the French pigeon fancier will come to the fore. You know they haven't wiped pigeons altogether. And one of the Chinese guys was saying that you know anything can happen with electrical interference and and things can happen. And they've established right around their coastline and border areas pigeon lofts and operational pigeon lofts. And I heard they had more than 10,000 pigeons all around, because China's a pretty big area, but they've got yeah. pigeon posts. And yeah. that's there just in case. Yeah, and it's part of the army. It's connected yeah, to their yeah. Chinese army, yeah. Yeah, the people who look after them are you know, soldiers. You know, they're in that pigeon corps, if you want to call them that. But, I mean, they've covered their options. You know, and I think sometimes a lot of the Western countries... We're relying too much on electronics. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. I'm probably going on a bit much here, but I'll tell you an interesting story. I was watching the um, Channel 7 News in Sydney, well, this is a couple of years ago, when our troops were in Afghanistan and the Americans were there, and it was winter, and the, the reporter was standing in the middle of a street of this um, this Af- Afghan town. You know, it was just a rough old buildings and whatever else, and she was saying about how cold it was, that the people had a very little to eat, that they were hungry, um, drinking water was a bit scarce. And right, and she was standing like in the middle of the road, and right down the back behind her, I could see a flock of birds. And I'm looking at them, and I said to my wife, I said, geez, they're wing movement, they look like pigeons. They look like pigeons. Mm. And I said, and, and the Americans are always worried that they could never catch a lot of these groups of people, you know, these little terrorist pockets. And I said, to, I said to my wife, I said, if they're using pigeons, the Americans will never track them because their listening devices won't pick them up. Correct. They can send a message to say the Americans <laughs> are here, the Americans are there, they're coming, and move on. And, and what backed my thought up a little bit, and I'm probably being silly, I said, if those people were hungry and starving and the kids had nothing to eat, and if they were pigeons, you'd think they'd eat them. Yeah. So if they weren't eating them, and they were, if they were pigeons, they were being used to carry messages to all these outposts where the, you know, the Al-Qaeda were hiding. Mm. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they were using them. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, Afghan and some, some of those Middle Eastern countries there have been using pigeons for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. Well, those, those Middle Eastern countries, they've, they've got pigeon towers there that have been there for centuries. Yeah. Yeah, and they're very, it's a very very reliable source over a short distance of, of sending a message. You know, but anyway, it's, we'll, we'll, we can only see what develops and you know, we keep our eye on things. As pigeon fanciers, I often say, you know, we'll never get rich. And someone said to me, why not? I said, we're never looking on the ground for the dropped $100 bill. We're always looking in the sky looking for pigeons. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. You'll walk over the $100 bill because we never see it. That's that's true. Now, uh, Greg, we're running out of time, so I just want to ask you, in the second half of our show, I did an interview with, uh, I'd, I'd say, probably the greatest racing pigeon uh, flyer in Australia, and that's uh, we all know who that is, and that's Graham Davo Davison. And uh, I'm featuring that in the second half of our program today. And I know he's not a well man at the moment. When I did the interview at the time, he was he was quite well and quite alert and 
and told us a lot of a lot of his secrets. Now, how's he going now nowadays? Well, as you can imagine, he's he's not getting any better. And I mean, I haven't um, spoken to him directly, but I know a few people are pretty close with him, and, and they say he's you know he, he's still coherent and he's still pretty good to talk to and he still likes the pigeons. I think someone said he still had a couple in the loft as an interest. I'm not sure if that's right or not. Mm. But I know Graham to talk to only, oh, very small. I met him a couple of times before we never got into a deep conversation. But I often found that, you know, he he was an unassuming man. You know, he, he had no airs and graces. He spoke pretty well about pigeons and if you wanted to know something, I know guys that have you know, gone to him for information and they've got a wealth of information from him you know, he wasn't backwards or, or, or withholding, if you wanted to know something he was always happy to help well, you Well he out. didn't withhold nothing in the interview I did with him, he, he's told us everything he does with the birds, even down to medicating and everything he does mm. oh, I think on the south coast and throughout Australia you know, he, he, his racing performance is, is sorely missed he was a guy that you know that, that set the bar. You wanted to win, you had to beat him. Yeah, and um, and I think he was a pretty generous guy. And and from what I have looked up, they they tell me that in his young days he was a very good footballer. Of course, rugby league, not AFL, but a, a very good footballer in his day. And I think he coached one of the teams down in Wollongong. But um, yeah, well, yeah, I so know he, in one part of the interview he, he says. He says, I don't have to uh, test my birds when they've got worms. He says, I can look at them and I know whether they've got worms or not. Yeah, I think those sort of pigeon flyers, you know, this is why you can learn so much from them. Those sort of pigeon flyers are becoming a flyer of the past. You know, their keen sense of observation is, I think, what makes them great pigeon flyers. Yeah. They, They didn't rely on the vet. They didn't rely on hearsay. They relied on experience, of course, and, and being able to observe their pigeons and spend a lot of time observing them. Yeah. I mean, for some people, you know, work commitments, family commitments don't always let you to sit in the loft for an hour or two just looking at each individual pigeon. But uh, I'd say, you know, Graham had spent a hell of a lot of time over the years looking and, uh, and not necessarily handling each pigeon, just looking at them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, he, and he knows his stuff too, and that's why I'm featuring him. Mm-hmm. Again on the interview because I, I listened to it for my own benefit to, to pick up things on the weekend and I thought to myself oh, I've got to play this again. It's just a fantastic mm-hmm. interview. Yeah, I, I think you know that like Graham and, and a few of the other pigeon flyers that have gone by the way, um, some of them have taken their secrets to the grave, but a lot of them have, have um, you know educated. Up and coming people. I know some some of those old pigeon flyers that are now gone. Yeah, they were pretty smart. They knew who who they wanted to talk to, who they didn't, um, and they had a good judge of character. So some people might have gone up to them and asked them this, asked them that, and they probably just you know, told them what maybe what they wanted to hear. But if they found someone who was genuine, I think they really you know, opened up their diary. And yeah, told them I think you're right. Yep, hundred percent. All right, Paul. Look, um, we'll have we'll have you on again as publicity. Is there anything else you'd like to mention yourself? Just quickly, you know, with regards to the uh, purple poppies. You know, some people might say, "Where do you get them?" And if you were interested, I, I got on the web on, on the Google. And if you just type in purple poppies, 
there's a few links there. Mm. And in each state, they, they name and give you the address of uh, businesses, sometimes clubs, that are going to be um, selling or distributing purple poppies. Poppy. So if people really wanted to get one, just have a look on, on um, Google and you should be able to access... Well, I was walking through the, the, the supermarket oh, last year, I think it was, and there was a guy from the RSL there with a table set up and he was selling all these poppies and everything. And he had a range of purple poppies, key rings, purple oh, wow. poppies... They've got a key ring that I bought, and it's got yep. a pigeon on it, a dog on it, a horse on it, mm-hmm. attached to this key ring. It's quite fantastic. Yeah, and and I think he only charged sakes. me five bucks for it. That was all. Yeah, yeah they're, they're good keepsakes. You know, and then there's also another you know, uh, conversation point. I've got a couple um, purple poppies that I bought last time I was down at the War Memorial, the fridge magnets. And it's funny how many people come into the house at times and, what's that purple flower thing you got stuck on the fridge and then you'd explain it to them you know and so it's good you know you, you, no, you get to people about it yeah yeah but um I, I wanted to finish with and i'm not i'm probably going to get it wrong but a quote by sir winston churchill and i used it a few months back in a pigeon story and winston churchill said a, a country or nation who forgets to honor their heroes will soon have no heroes to honor yeah that's quite right. Now, just before you go, Paul, would you like to give us the website address so that if people don't know where your website is, they can go and look it up and perhaps get all the fanciers to join up on the Australian National Pigeon Board as members? Well, I'm sitting at my computer now. I, I normally, when I want to go to it, I just type in AN, you know, Australian National Racing Pigeon Board, and it takes you straight to the website. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, and there's a lot of information. I think it's anrpb.com.au, I think it is. Yeah, well, I'm sitting here now, I'm just going to type in National Racing. Here we go, I found it. It's www.anrpb.org. That always sounds too hard for me. (laughs) No, it's quite easy, actually, and I love the new logo. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we're looking at that because, as you may be aware, we're, we're going down to Adelaide in November. There's a pigeon convention presentation down in Adelaide. Yep. And we're going down there, or some of us are going down there. And um, we, we've got a, a store or a table where we're looking to promote, you know, the board. And we're looking at the moment of, of trying to other flyers can buy as a fundraiser because as a board is a is, you know it's not getting money from anywhere we're looking at fundraisers I think we're looking to try and also have another squeaker sale on on Tim Fawcett's site this year uh, of, of donated pigeons just to raise money because there are expenses as you would know yeah, running something yeah of course yeah. you've got your insurance zoom meetings which we have once a month you've got to pay for those sorts of things. And, um, yeah, so we hope they'll be there and hopefully there'll be some, you know, um, either baseball caps, coffee cups, you know, stubby holders, something like that that fanciers can purchase with that with that particular logo on it. And uh, we can raise a bit of money to, to keep the, uh, the board afloat. No, that's fantastic news. And, um... yeah. and anybody, <laughs> I'm going to put another plug in here, Ivan, Anybody who would like to be a corporate sponsor, we could really do with a few more corporate sponsors. On that website, you'll see uh, Trudy Abayavet listed there. 
Yeah, I can see that. You got LPN Pigeon Stud. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. They're they're corporate sponsors, and anyone that wishes to become a corporate sponsor, uh, any businesses out there, and want their logo there with their website. So their website, from this website, your website will be advertised there, and people can go directly to it. Yeah. What what um, costs involved for that? Just quickly. I I think off the top of my head, five hundred dollars. No. That that really isn't much money for for twelve months, is it? That twelve every twelve well, months, is it? Yeah, well, I'm assuming that you know if you're a corporate body, it'll be tax deductible because there's advertising, and then also people can click on it onto the website there, and it takes you directly to your business anyway, yeah. and um, you know they can um, either purchase something from you or make inquiries. So co- corporate sponsorship, like like anything, football, cricket, you, you need corporate sponsors to keep you afloat. Yeah, correct. So, uh, correct. I've been trying to get a few more, and uh, I'll try again, hmm. and um, we'll see what we can do. All right, Paul. Look, thanks very much for coming on the radio today. And uh, if you need to uh, announce anything via for the board or anything, feel free to contact me, and uh, we'll have you on again, no doubt, as publicity officer. Well, thanks very much for your time, Ivan. I hope you have a good day, and uh, I hope all your listeners have a good day. All right, thanks, Paul, and uh, have a nice day yourself. All the best. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Natural Pigeon Products are the Australian distributors for Rohnfried Pigeon Products. Rohnfried, a German-based company, is a leading manufacturer of world-class, premium, European racing pigeon products that will help you maintain your racing pigeons' inner health all year round. Contact Natural Pigeon Products on 035998100 and pigeonvitality.com.au Southern FM Sponsor For all your pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. You'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 9464 2439. Southern FM Sponsor. Keep your pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The Applied Nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. Your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Meat. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. Tara Meat stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Tulin Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484 340 551. Southern FM sponsor. Right now, we have to break for the Southern FM National Radio News. And after the Southern FM National Radio News, we have our great interview with the greatest, I say the greatest pigeon racer in Australia, and that's Graham Davo Davison. So stay tuned and we'll catch up with you after the news.
You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. Stop the pigeon, 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 how? You're tuned to Pigeon Radio Australia here on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside. Our website address at Pigeon Radio is www.pigeonmedia.com.au. And uh, I'm going to resurrect an interview because I listened to it over the weekend and I thought, yeah, I have to play this again. And uh, you won't get tired of this bloke's interview, I can tell you right now. And I'm talking about one of the greatest, if not the greatest pigeon racer in Australian racing pigeon history. And we had the chance to talk to him before he fell ill. And we talked to him back in 2015 when he was still racing his birds. And I'm talking about Graham Davo Davison. So I'd like to dedicate the second half of our program to this great man of Australian racing pigeon sport. So let's have a listen to the interview I did with Graham Davo Davison back in 2015. He's one of the greatest pigeon flyers and pigeon racers in Australia, if not the greatest pigeon flyer and pigeon racer in Australia. And uh, I'd like to welcome to the program today, Graham Davo Davison. Good afternoon and welcome to the program. Good afternoon, Ivan. How are you, mate? Pretty good, pretty good. bit humid, but very yeah, good. humid up there. And how's the birds going? Uh, the young ones, we're on to the third round coming over now, and mm-hmm. that'll be the finish of the breeding season for us. So. Oh, right. We don't breed too late, although I okay. do like, I rather late breeds than, than you, first rather, rounders, actually. Yeah, well, a lot of people are saying that. We had Michael Portelli on the radio last week, and he was saying the same thing. He likes the later bred birds than the, than the earlier ones. Especially for the longer races at the end of the year, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the the, uh, the the babies are the best. The ones that carry six nest flights or yeah. or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. The the, uh, the only pigeon that's ever flown from Bundaberg to Wollongong on the day was a hen of ours, and yeah, uh, she carried. She was only nine months old. Was that the indigo hen? Was it? Uh, no, that no? Was, that was. The, what we call the record hen. Oh, the record hen, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it was a um, it's a long race. It's a six hundred and fifty miles, mm-hmm. or or um, a thousand and seventy something kilometres. Mm-hmm. I still talk in miles. Yeah, no. it's very. I hard think all pigeon flies still do talk in yeah, miles. Really. It's very hard to get out of that. Yeah, habit. yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been racing pigeons since nineteen forty eight. So yeah, so you've been racing for about what forty uh, years, nearly fifty years. Uh 66 years. 66 years. And I believe you've got, what, 38 aggregate, uh, first aggregate positions? We got beat in the overall aggregate this year for the first time in 38 years. Oh, my goodness. We got second. So what what do you bring your your success to? Uh, I just think that we had a simple method, and uh, it was a very simple method, and we had good pins. We were just lucky. I was very lucky. Um, I started off racing... With a with the chap that came back from the war, okay, he came back out out of the air force in in nineteen forty five forty six, and uh, 
I raced with him in 48, mm-hmm. and then we had this really wonderful hen. Mm-hmm. And I think that I got to know what a good pigeon was like very young. Mm-hmm. And, on, and I've, I'm very type orientated to, to type of raised pigeon. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's helped. Now, what bloodlines do you like now? Do, do you get into the imports or do you keep the old the old stuff still? Or? No, no. We, we've, we've been into the, Euro, the European imports. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had... Well, we've had the... Um, the current ones that at the moment we got Herman Coisters that, that we've had them for mm. nine years, so mm, mm, mm. we got very early on into them. Mm. And Jason Stig, I, I yeah, Jason Stig and myself, well, we we, uh, we bought some, and uh, they're they're all bred at Jason's the the, mm. the imports. Yeah, but he's got, got a, he's got a good line of staff Van Reets. You tried those ones, have you? Yeah, we we got them in in sixty uh, in ninety eight. Mm. Uh, they came straight from Staff Staff and Van Ridd himself, mm. and uh, we call them Staffs. But but really, you, you know, you should you just you've got to call them Staffs. But if you really wanted to know, we got seven in, mm. in the original lot, and they were all off the Groot of Tom. Well, mm. four of them were off the Groot of Tom. Yeah, but the Groot of Tom pigeon was actually a Sunchen. <laughs> so they were half Sunchen, and, uh, okay. so and we that... call them staffs. So yeah. it, it's only marketing names. Yeah, yeah, and I believe that these imports, once you get like two or three generations from them, you should really call them after yourself, anyway. Well, you should. Yeah, you, really, what you do, what what we do, we we call them after the good producer or or the actual pigeon. Mm. You know, you can give them a, a name. Um, we, we've had the pigeons that. And the replacement cock, mm. it, it got got a famous name because people bred a lot of good pigeons out of it. Mm. Then we had the what we called the good body cock, and mm. so we we just relate them to that particular pigeon. It's, mm. You know, like just because the, they're off the replacement cock, they've got no relationship to a Herman mm. Coyster that we've got. So if you get them from Jason Stig, mm. um, you've just actually got to talk about which which particular ones you got. Mm. You know, we got we got pigeons down uh, direct off off the Euro, the Olympiad, mm. and the Figo. Now they're three of the base pigeons of of, of Leo Hermans. Mm. But um, you know, if you got one off the Figo office or one off the Euro, mm. they're really not related to one another. No. So you know, you just got to really make your own pigeons i think mm. see because i've i've heard a lot of talk about you and people were saying to me oh no he won't race any of the imported stuff he only races the old the old stuff you know and i said no nah, i don't believe that so yeah we've got it that, yeah, you, that yeah. you do race the euro stuff as well yeah i cross them we cross them yeah how we, do they go crossing with the old stuff do they do, well, they do well, well for that's what we do mm. we we don't we we very well, we never pair a, a uh, Staffen Van Ritten to a Staffen Van Ritten unless someone wants to buy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For some reason, people want to buy mm. a straight Staffen Van Ritten. Mm. And yet there it is when we bought them mm. off Staff. Yeah, they went straight. It was a half swinch. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> on the mother's side, they were daughters of the Daniel, which mm. was his number one pigeon. Mm. But he, he'd crossed that to, to, um, to a swinch. Mm. Well, he actually took the the daughter of the Daniel two, two Sunchens mm. and bred it, and he got one called the Gruta Tom, mm. which Gruta in the Belgian language probably means the, the big Tom. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, like, yeah, that's what we do. We we cross them, and I've got an old family that I've had for years and years, uh, the Pommy Blues, but, yeah. I mean, there's no more Pommy Blue in them than there is in me. Because no. The, the Pommy Cock was rung 1952. Mm, mm. So, uh, so no, they've got a lot of crosses. We, we cross all the time. Yeah. And um, do you find, do you like line breed, or you you like to outcross more? Just outcross, just pair pigeons with performance. Okay. So I'd say winners to winners. Uh, well, virtually winners to winners, or if, if pigeons fly at the same velocity, if you if you've got a pigeon that that flies say seven and a half to eight hour race, mm. uh, and it's a twelve hundred race mm. uh, or a thousand meter, mm. I just like putting pigeons together that have got similar attributes at, at the, mm. the speed mm. for that distance, mm. and that's what we do. Mm. And but the pigeons must conform with what we like they, they have to be balanced the pigeons mm. have to have that body structure mm. now when you race these birds do you race them the widowhood system or do you race them to the perch or just race them to the perch straight to the perch I, yeah i've got i've got no incentive way of racing pigeons mm. i've mm. tried i've tried them all uh, and and we just race them to the perch that's why the late breeds mm. fly better They're, okay they don't have any uh <laughs> and they don't go out of condition. And yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, they they just got their own motivation to come yeah. Now I put up on the internet yesterday that I was going to have you on the radio, and we had a few questions from some of the people on the internet that they would like to relay me to relay to you, if you don't mind. No, that's all right. And um, the first question is from a Steve Kudajar, and he asks, "How often do you medicate, and if so, what do you medicate for, and what with?" Medication, yeah. Well, this is this is the big problem for most people. My uh, currently, my young ones, I, like I said to you earlier, oh. uh, I'm just putting the third round over. Mm. They've had nothing. Mm. Their parents have had nothing. Mm. The, the stock birds have had nothing. Mm. The race babies that are over now, mm. they're, they're flying. Mm. I've, I've now got the first and second round put together. Mm. I fly them, and they've had. They have not had one medication. Mm. And I have not had a, a sick young one, and I have not even had a canker, not oh, even a gee. navel spot or, or a, a spot anywhere. That's great. Uh, I must say that I breed in, I, I put pair, 20 pair up, mm. and they're in single pens. Mm. So they're not cross crossing no. uh, problems in the drinkers. They've just got their own drinker each pen. Mm. Uh, and... Uh, do you think it's better to breed in a single pen than breed it like in a loft situation? Yes, there's there's there's, there's pluses for both, but I uh, I prefer to breed in the single pens because I'm not going into a loft and a, when you've had pins as long as I've had, mm. it's good to have to be outside. I've got my single pens are out in the open, so mm. I, I'm breathing nice fresh air mm. and. The, the pigeons have got the same. They've got a wire bottom in the pens, mm. so the, the droppings just drop through. Yeah, Don't have to clean them out much. No. Uh, and I just put the watering... I, with the waterers, I've tried all sorts of watering. And mm. Now I've just got the ordinary milk or, or drink uh, juice bottles, yep. plastic bottles. Yep. I cut a hole in them just enough to put my fists through yep. to clean them out. And, and I only clean them out once, probably twice... In between the rearing the young ones, I just run along with a hose, mm. fill them up, and with with those bottles like that, with the lid still on, mm. there's a bit of 
like green weed and muck grows in there, but mm. I just I don't clean it perfectly out. Mm. I do that about once a fortnight. Okay. And do you give like you give them like f- f- uh, a mix to eat, or do you just feed straight peas, or when you're breeding? Uh, I, I I give them a, a breeding mix. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's generally got nearly all round seed in it, but mm. I I do use maize. I use a lot of corn. Mm-hmm. I I uh, I have a, a a really strong rich protein mix to rare on. Mm. Yeah, I do, but I don't. I don't treat them. And if I did get a pigeon with with canker in, which which yeah. is basically the the main problem of of everything, yeah. is the canker. Yeah. If I do get a young one in the nest, say there's two young ones in the nest, one of them's got a a little bit of canker in the mouth, which I have, touch wood haven't had this year. Mm. I would just use emptral, straight mm. piece of straight emptral, straight into that baby's mouth, mm. just a piece as big as a piece of wheat. Mm-hmm. And I don't treat the other young one, and I put nothing in the water. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't drop drop out within two days, I may do it again. Mm-hmm. Put another little bit in about as big as a piece of wheat. Mm. And if and then if it doesn't drop out, well then the baby goes in the garbage. But the, mm. uh, I don't believe in in, in giving them. I, I've changed a, a lot of ways. I used to give them before when I first started with canker. Mm. I started to know about canker when I was only about. 12 year old because mm. we used to use our mother's blue stone for mm-hmm. washing blue bags yeah. and then that was copper sulfate yeah I don't do any of that now no although I do I might do it when I'm racing but I when the race pigeons come over it's a totally different thing mm. but in my loft now the, the pigeons have not had anything not even a drink of apple cider vinegar nothing nothing just straight water yeah just straight water and the water is not always cleaned out every day mm. it's topped off a lot of the time mm. interesting a lot of the time mm. and if you think about birds in the wild or animals in the wild they always drink back water the That's water right. on the yeah up in the little billabong i think we i think we as pigeon flies seem to forget about that they're birds yeah. <laughs> and they were in the wild at a stage you know and we just forget about those things and I think some people mollycoddle their pigeons a little bit too much sometimes. Well, I think you can you, you can put a lot too much in the water. Mm. And a lot of people tend to, in, in the race situation, tend to overfeed their pigeons. They, mm. they give them too much protein. It's just, you know. So you'd say to, to lessen, to lessen the peas. Like, I know, I think that the, 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 the tradition here in Australia, the, the people chasing pigeon peas all the time, is because of the war years, I think that's all they could have got to feed the birds. And it's just stuck there. That's what I think. Well, What's yeah. your opinion on that? Well, peas, everyone used to just have a bowl of peas uh, in the nest boxes and then they, they raced them mainly on wheat, peas and milo. Mm. And... Uh, Really, I know in the in the early days uh, they used to increase the peas as the distance came on, and then, you know I I I went through that mm. when I was flying in in the forties and mm. the, in the early fifties. Mm. But I soon learnt that the pigeons fly better if they have a carbohydrate diet. That's right. Mm. But no, I I don't I don't treat. I, I try not to treat. Mm. Um, canker is the only main problem, mm. and that's when you start racing. This time in the year, mm. they're not. They don't get the more ronadosal that you give your pigeons, the more you've got to give them. 
Yeah, because you do, you're breaking their immune system down. I think so. Mm. I think so. Mm. Uh, and mm. I, and I and I don't do that. My, like I said, mm. I'm on the third. I finished the third round, mm. and I haven't had a canker. Mm. I wouldn't say that happens every year. This is probably the, the best year I've had for that. Mm, mm. Maybe the weather's got something to do with it too. We haven't had bad weather really in Victoria or New South. No, humidity's the worst problem. Yeah, I know. We had a few days of that here last week and it wasn't very good for the birds at all. I noticed that straight away. Yeah, dryness is is an essence. That, mm. uh, like the, I know in, in Western Australia, the, the Perth flyers have, have a lot better drier weather than mm. what we do in, the, in our breeding season over here. Mm. Mm. Now, um, David Scott uh, asks if you use garlic or apple cider vinegar, or do you use both, or you do you use nothing at all? Like you said before, you probably don't use nothing at all. I'm, I'm using nothing at the moment, but mm. when I start racing, mm. I will use a little bit of apple cider vinegar, but not on a regular basis. Mm. I, I've mm. and may even just rock back a little bit. You've got to watch them carefully. It's just after they finish drinking. Mm. Um, if they start doing that, mm. I, I generally think, well, right, well, they might have some canker. But when I'm racing, I, I do give them uh, emptral and flagell together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use uh, the soluble flagell, yep. the liquid soluble yep, yep. flagell, um, yep. and I put seven mils into. 4.5 litres of water, mm. and I put in the same 4.5 litres of water, I had a teaspoon of emptral. Mm. And I do that only for three drinks. That's mm. on. And that's every three weeks now. Mm. I used to do it every six weeks, but I find now when I'm racing, I've got to do it every three weeks. Mm. But I haven't got a weekly program. Uh, a lot of people do it every week. Yeah. But well, I, how many times a week would you give him an apple cider vinegar? Probably only once or twice, mm. and and that's not always. It's only if the if the pigeons are in real good form mm. and there's nothing going wrong, mm. I don't give them anything. You just give them water. Just just the water. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that's that's like I think sometimes we over over do things with the pigeons. There's so many products available now. You don't know what to get anymore, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's totally different to when I started. Yeah, you can buy in in the, the pet shops now. Mm. You can buy all these things on the shelf. Uh, I, I can't. Have, I think at the one time I think they they used to give them uh, probably cod liver oil or something mm. like that. Mm. Nothing else. My well, Epsom salts was a, was a good one they used to use, wasn't it? Yeah, I still do use it. Do you? I still use it. Mm. Uh, I just give them a physic every now and then. I call it a valve grind and a decode. <laughs> if they're just not not hitting their straps when they work of a morning, mm. they're just not going quite hard enough. Mm. Um, uh, I'll uh, I'll just give them a valve grind and a decode, mm. just the one drink. Mm. Mm. But uh, yeah, not. I made a video, oh, the Davo video. It's probably yeah. twenty. 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And it's pretty much still the same. Mm. I, I have changed a little bit, like, uh, mm. but I still, it's still pretty much the same methods. Mm. Mm. And uh, I, I haven't got any ideas on on changing until someone comes along that really teaches us how to fly the European incentive ways. Mm. They tell us, 
Mm. Um, until someone comes along and can be this all the time, well, then I'll change. Well, um, I was we had Peter Maddock, you know him from uh, Sydney, do you? Um, couple yeah, he, of, he just shifted up the north yeah, coast. He's yeah, he's gone up to Taree. Uh, we had him on a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him the question whether we could fly widowhood in the European system in Australia, and he, he thinks he, that, that, that we can here with not a problem, so... Yeah, well, there's been a lot try, hmm. and in the, in our area here, um, well, there's been a lot try, hmm. and they haven't, they've they, they finished up flying late bridge like me off the long races, hmm. uh, yeah, I, until I, I'm convinced that they're doing it and beating us, well, hmm. I'll just stay with the easy way. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of hard work, Widowhood. Yeah, it is a lot of hard work. I was, I've talked to him in lengths about it, and it is not just putting them in and, and, and sort of mating them up and motivating. There's a lot more to it than that. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of work involved too if you want to yeah. do it properly. Yeah, oh, look, there's a, there's a terrible lot. You have to change your loft. I know when, yeah. we, I, I, when I went overseas and we stayed with Planet Brothers, mm in England, mm. and they had a loft at the time that they were racing what they call widowhood back-to-back, mm. and it was a specially built loft, mm. and there was a lot of trouble, and I, I, they never really fully told me how to do it, mm. but I could see that anyone that tried it over here never had a loft built the way theirs was. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was incredible. The way yeah. they, they had back entrances and front entrances to each nest box, and, mm. and they they called it widowhood back-to-back. You just, unless you did it properly, mm. uh, I can't see it working. Mm. Mm. Uh, David Scott asks, um, what is your first di- uh, toss distance and how many tosses before the first race? My first toss distance is, uh, is un- it's about 6Ks. Mm. And um, the first toss is, is generally at the start. I... I I put each round of pigeons through what I call a brainwashing program. Mm. So I take them, I, I work them first, mm-hmm. and I have them pretty well on a string. I have them pretty hungry, mm-hmm. and I work them just close around the box. They don't go away. They're waiting for me to get them in. Mm-hmm. I get them in, and I just take them, and it's only six k's away. Mm-hmm. And they come. They, they, they. I get them in from training, and I put them straight in the van and straight down and toss. Mm-hmm. I do that for the first two days, maybe three days, that do that of a morning. Mm-hmm. But then for the next two or three days, I do it morning and afternoon. So they worked in the morning mm-hmm. and then tossed, and then they worked in the evening and tossed. Mm-hmm. And I do that, and I reduce the feed a little bit, probably by about an eighth of an ounce a day per bird. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feed a lighter mix uh, during the early races, or and then heavy it up after. Or yeah, I, you... I just about fly, fly right through on a light mix. Okay, even to the long distance. Even to the long distance, mm-hmm. I, I I might add I might add a little bit of um, uh, carbohydrate or energy or fat, mm-hmm. like small seed or oil seed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I prefer to race on a light mix. Mm. A heavy mix, I call it sinkers. It just doesn't work. So, what what would you pref- what seed would you prefer in that light mix? Well, my basic light is uh, four po- four parts wheat, mm-hmm. four parts barley, mm-hmm. one and a half milo, 
one and a half safflower, and I've got a, about a quarter of a tin of uh, linseed and a quarter of a tin of rape. Mm-hmm. Now, I make that up. That's, that's what I call my base light mix. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the race mix. Mm. Uh, but I do uh, the last three feeds before they go away on the early races, on the Friday night basketing, mm. they get three feeds with, with a half heavy mix in it, but not a lot of peas in it. Mm. That's mainly corn, yeah. wheat, um, and, and safflower, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, Johnny Debrincat uh, asks, uh, "Do you toss the young birds just after the eye has developed colour?" Around fourteen weeks um, is a dangerous time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when they get to about fourteen weeks old, mm. I, I wouldn't toss them. I let I let them. Mm. They work. By then, they may when they, I work them in the morning, and by the time they're that age. They may do an hour and a half to two hours off the box early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And if they're doing that, there's no point in me tossing them. Mm. So I don't toss them then until about uh, six or eight weeks before we start racing. Okay. I might give them that brainwashing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm getting old and I'm finding it hard to do now, so <laughs> I have to do them in rounds. Yeah. Um, now, do you toss them in a group or do you single toss them? Or? Always in a group. Yep. Always in the group. Always in the group. Yeah. Um, Daniel Lowe asks, uh, if your race team went off form during the season, what action would you take to restore their condition? If they've gone off form and they're just not working, mm. just give them a physic, like I said, with the Epsom salt. Yep. The, 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 and, well, and the other thing is you've got to go to a vet and get some te- droppings tested. Mm. If, if you think there's some problem mm. and... And I, I get problems occasionally because they're in baskets and they're going in with other birds. Mm. It, while ever you've got your pigeons only in your yard and they're only in your toss baskets, mm. but once they start mixing, you can have problems. Mm. It, it's even sometimes when I put my first round babies with my second round babies, mm. and if they're working the box really hard, mm. some of them will break down a little bit. Mm. and. I'll either get them tested mm-hmm. or I'll put them in the garbage tin because mm. it's no good me mucking around with them. No. But you've got to know. It's no good guessing and saying, oh, well, I'll give them a course of this and a course of that. Mm. Uh, you know, what the heck for? Mm. I mean, I can tell just looking at pigeons whether they've got worms. Mm. I can just about tell all I know when they've got what, what they're like when they've got worms. Mm. Um, I can tell by the pigeons... But just by the white droppings that come on the back when there's coxie, and if mm. you've got coccidiosis, mm. you've most likely got canker first. So mm. the first thing you've got to do is treat them for canker. But don't guess, find out, because mm. it's just as easy to get a, a sample done. Yeah. And not just one sample, get it done two or three days running. Mm. Um, get to know a vet very well and, uh, mm. and just... Tell him what you want, what you're doing. What so, you after listening to that answer, I'd I'd say that your key to, to to that is to observe your birds a lot. You you must sit there and really watch them to see what they how they're behaving, what they're doing. Observation is the is the key, but I don't have to sit there long. I've only mm. just got to glance along now. I can tell. Mm. Uh, I I can tell 
nearly by the smell of the loft. I can I can mm. nearly tell by the by the droppings. Mm. Um, so what are the ideal droppings in the loft, and what is the ideal smell in the loft? Well, it's a sweet smell. It's a it, it's a nice smell. Uh, um, it hasn't got a yeah. It, it's just not a nasty mm. odor that's coming to me. Mm. Uh, you can get a uriny type odor. Yeah, um, and it's just and 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 you can have deep litter because when my babies come over mm. I leave I leave the litter from the end of the race season mm. I bag it up and dry it mm. and I put that back in the loft for the babies to come over on mm. and then they eat a bit of their shit and they get the loft environment and they build up their own immunity yeah. when mm. you get a lot of humidity and rain I've got to take that out and throw mm. it away because it'll start and get that smell mm. and you just you've only you, and it's just that nice dryness smell, mm, mm. sweet smell. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it's, yeah. Observation is great, but mm. really, a lot of people look and they don't see anything. No, they don't I mean, know what to look for. I yeah, think some people stand there all day and look at them. Yes. He's observing them, but he's not seeing anything. Exactly. And another right. man that knows what he's looking for can stand there and just say to him, "Look, look, look, look." Um, I know when we used to do loft tours. Mm. And we'd get back on the bus, and then I used to say to the guys who were with us now, who's seen what? Mm. What did you notice there, that loft we were at? Mm. And it was amazing how people sort of didn't see a mm. lot of the things that I see. Mm. And I'd say, well, did you notice that there was pigeons on, like, that had droppings on their tail, and some of them were even sitting on high perches, not the ones just down the bottom? And they'd say, well, I didn't see them. <laughs> well, there was some, you know. Yeah. And it's pretty obvious probably that that, that loft had a coxie problem at the time, but it was yeah. coxie's only secondary, so it was probably coming from the canker. Mm. So there was a problem in that loft, uh, mm. and, and it won't go away. Mm. It just won't go away. No. It has to be treated out. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and I think you're right when you're saying that, you know, don't just guess. You go get your birds tested. because Yeah, find out. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll ask, just experience fancy, just ask mm. sometimes. We're just going to take a break there from Davo's interview and we're going to hear the second half of the great man's interview after a few words from our sponsors and some community service announcements. We'll be right back. For all your pigeon requirements, head to Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies. We make our own range of pigeon carry baskets, bird breeding cages and boxes. We're one of Melbourne's largest suppliers of quality seed, feed and more. You'll find health supplements, minerals and grits for pigeons and other breeds. Visit Thomastown Produce and Pet Supplies at our retail shop in Apex Court, Thomastown or phone 9464 2439. Southern FM sponsor. Keep your pigeons healthy with Applied Nutrition Australia, number one for all-in-one bird supplements. Tummy Right for Pigeons is a nutritional supplement for racing pigeons to support proper functioning of the gastrointestinal tract. The Applied Nutrition range of products is made in Australia and sold factory direct to you. For top quality products formulated by Australia's leading animal and avicultural nutritionist, visit appliednutrition.com.au. Southern FM sponsor. Your one-stop produce and farming supplies. Tara Meat. We get racing pigeons racing, horses racing, cattle and poultry feeding. All racing pigeon products and supplements available. We also have live poultry sales. 
Tara needs stock feed and farming supplies. 1227 Holden Road, Tulin Vale. Open seven days a week. Telephone, Peter, on 0484-340-551. Southern FM sponsor. Hi, Craig Lowndes here. As a professional driver, safety is my highest priority. At the Australian Road Safety Foundation, we believe every single road user has the power to be the change they want to see on the road. And that starts well before getting behind the wheel. With road trauma being the biggest killer of kids aged 1 to 14 and the second biggest of those under 25. I'm urging teachers, parents and students to visit roadset.com.au and get started on their own educational journey today. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community broadcasting codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content that are of concern to the community, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting to the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in the operation of this service. Copies of the codes are available from the Community Broadcasting Association website www.cbaa.org.au This is DDZ, your captain speaking. Tune in every Wednesday at 2pm. Travel the world, musically speaking, from the Eiffel Tower to the Rialto, from the Colosseum to the Pyramids, from the London Bridge to Golden Gate. Tune in every Wednesday, 2pm, for International Caravan with your captain, DDZ. You're listening to Pigeon Radio Australia on 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, Melbourne, Australia. Stop the pigeon, 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 how? Jab him, jab him, jab him. You're tuned to 88.3 Southern FM, the sounds of the Bayside, and you're listening to the only devoted racing pigeon radio show in the entire world, and that's Pigeon Radio Australia. Our website address at Pigeon Radio Australia is uh, www.pigeonmedia.com.au. And go and check the Southern FM website at www.southernfm.com.au. There's some exciting stuff. There's some podcasts. And we're in the process of putting some of our podcasts on the Southern FM website direct. So go and check it out, www.southernfm.com.au. And right now we're going back to our great interview with one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pigeon racer in Australia, who unfortunately is not a well man at the moment, and that's Graham Davo Davidson. We were lucky enough to have this interview with him back in 2015, and uh, he has some great tips there. So that's why I've resurrected this interview to listen to and get some of the tips that he gave us back in 2015. So let's get back to the interview. I knocked around with all the old fellas, mm. and I found out a lot of them. Mm. Now that I'm getting an old fella, mm. I'm knocking around with the young fellas because mm. they've got better eyes than me. Mm. <laughs> and, 
Yeah. And they've got more access that I can't even work a yeah. computer or a mobile phone. Yeah. So yeah. I've got to I've got to rely on them, and uh, and and that's why uh. now I'm knocking around with young fellas like Jason Stig, mm. uh, who, you know, that that's to my advantage. Mm. Mm. Now, um, talking about sicknesses and that, when we're on the subject, uh, the PMV virus, like you're vaccinating your birds now, or yes. Yeah, and you'd advise everybody to vaccinate their birds because I'm trying to drum that that into people because yep. there's a lot of people here that think they can't be touched by it, you know, and um, beca- well, because we're not used to it in Australia, I think people think that it's like, a bit like pigeon pox, you know, you can take a chance, you know. Get away but, with it, but you still have problems if you get the pox because they they can get the diphtheria-type virus and then you wouldn't even know and, they, and then that'll lower their... The pox will even lower their performance. Mm. So they'll, they'll have a temperature. No, no, look, a- anything to do with inoculation, that, that they bring it up and it's been tested long enough, mm. you should use it. You mm. should you should do it. Mm. Mm. Um, Daniel Lowe asks, if you were to introduce a new family of birds to your loft, what do you look for? Uh, the pigeons that we... We want perform pigeons. Mm-hmm. And if we can buy a perform pigeon and it's my father uh, Jason and I buy them between us uh, mm. and Jason looks them up overseas he he does all the he does all the research he does all the research yep. and we have a look at the performance we work it out and we actually buy off a direct we buy them off a pigeon not just from the name but no. we work out which pigeon of that guys we want them off mm-hmm. so you're actually buying from yeah not you're not one or two generations down. You're straight off the pigeon. Straight off the... Uh, yeah. Yeah, that is the best way to do it, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, Terry Cooper asks, in your opinion, what is the future of our sport here in Australia? Yeah. It's a, it's a hard question. <laughs> That's a hard question. It is. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd love to be able to tell you the answer, but really, mm. there's one thing that I do pretty much know, that mm. we've got to get kids when they're about 12-year-old. Mm. It, it's very rare for pigeon people to get in, involved in the pigeon sport. So you've got to pick them up when they're 12 When they're old. young, yeah. But Mate, now with the computers and everything, it's hard to pick up kids, well, you know? Well, I know in our area here, mm. we're right alongside the surf, and, and, and how do you compete with the surf? You know, no, exactly. The surf's free, <laughs> and it's got that energy coming in, and they can stand on a board, and mm. they can carry the board. When we were young, to take a board down, it took two years to carry it to the beach. Mm-hmm. You didn't bring them home. You left them under someone's house. But yeah. the, the, now they put them on their back and they ride on the train or they ride on their bike. And mm. how are you going to compete with that? And twelve-year-olds are not, and they've got computers and laptops and all the rest of the stuff that they. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, and, and it seems to be that the only ones that we've got here mm. in the forties or under forties, mm. they're all sons of current pigeon flyers. Yeah. So they've got the bug from the time they're, they're being kids. Mm. Well, see, Daniel Lowe asks in the next question here, is pigeon racing going beyond the average working man or can you still keep it simple and be success- successful while you're working even? Uh, look, I think you can keep it and you can do it. Mm. But um, you don't have to chase those real deer pigeons. You don't... I mean... We're doing it, mm. but I'm I'm saying I didn't I didn't have to do that. 
no. I got pins given to me uh, when we were kids, and they were just mm. as good. Yeah. Um, and and you've got to remember that people like myself, we're racing pigeons, and there's a lot of those pigeons straying, going somewhere. So it's, uh, the same blood's out somewhere. It might someone might pick up a stray which has got the best pedigree in the world. Mm. So you don't have to pay that. No, big money. you don't. And then, and there's actually a flyer in Europe. I forget his name now, but um, he actually did. Uh, pick up a stray and, and, and bred champions off that. Yeah. So it's not impossible. Well, you've just got to realise that for nearly every champion pigeon around, there's three or four brothers and sisters somewhere. Mm. Yeah. If they're not dead, yeah. it's possible that they're somewhere around. Yeah. And all those imported pigeons that, that people buy yeah. and breed off, yeah. there's young ones around. It's a matter. It's a matter of you adapting a method that you can handle. Mm, mm. And I know I was very lucky because when my wife was interested and she trained the pigeons, if mm. it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have had the success. Mm. Um, you need a good partner. You always yeah. need a good partner by your well, side. And and see, these days now there's no kids around. Mm. Um, when we were young, nearly every flyer had. 10 to 12 year old boys mm. hanging around scraping lofts or, or you know just helping out mm. and they were the future uh, yeah mm. I, I, I don't I don't know how we fix it but I know that you've really probably got to get somehow when they're around about 12 year old is around mm. about the ideal age for them to get the bug and mm. once you get it and you realise that it, it's such a great sport well, I think because they all hang around on the internet and on Facebook these days, we've got to push it in that medium, and that's where we're going to get to them, you know? Well, you're probably right. I, I don't understand no. that, and, and I think we've got to be guided by young people uh, mm. in, in how to do it. The, the old people, well, it's like I used to say to a lot of people, I think the sport will see me out, mm. and, and I hope, <laughs> and, and I think it will now, but... I hope it sees a lot, a lot goes a lot longer. It might come round, you know. There's parts of the world where it's coming around. I mean, well, look at China, China, mm. uh, and uh, there, there is places where it's, Brazil is another place I've heard of as well. Brazil could be. I, I wouldn't know, but mm. but I know that yeah, there is places where it's coming back. Mm. Um, well, China's just taken off because it was banned for many years in China, and they've just lifted the ban, and it's just taken off. Yeah. A lot, uh, really, in a big way, like a lot of the rich people there are uh, really involved in it. So, yeah, well, that 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 can be a good thing, mm. um, but money sometimes uh, a lot of people will get frightened away if they think they've got to pay real big money for mm. the real the best for pigeons. the best pigeons. Yeah. Well, I I honestly think that you don't really have to. Sometimes people find pigeons. Uh, I know a guy that I used to race against down the country, and he used to go up the post office and trap a few birds and breed off them, and he used to breed winners off those pigeons. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. it can be done. Yeah, mm. well, yeah, I know. The, the Johnny Lawson's got his long-distance family in Sydney. Mm. They come down out of the bird shop. Yeah, there you go. He bought them in the bird shop about... 50 years ago, mm. so, uh, you know, uh, probably two shillings. Because, as you said before, you get the um, pigeons when you buy them from Europe. You you always want to look for the best ones, and you don't want to get a second or third generation. But um, I've noticed that a lot of these birds coming into the country here, 
they're like bred in a factory sort of situation and you don't really know what you're getting. Really? No, in a in a way it's a good thing and then in another way it's not. But mm. the, the, the studs did give people access to pigeons. Yeah. That, that one time it was more of a secretive thing and you, and <laughs> you swap within a little circle. Yeah, I know. I remember in the 80s. And uh, in those days, you know... The, if you weren't in a very good circle, you didn't have a good swapping circle. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the studs have done a, a good job there. They have, yeah. Yeah. They have. And I remember in the 80s, we, we weren't allowed to bring in pigeons at all, and they were all... Well, most flies were pulling their hair out because they couldn't get pigeons in from overseas, you know? Um, well, there was a long period of time after that where they said that the European pigeons weren't any good. Mm. Here, they just wouldn't fly here. Mm. But if you look at uh, most of the pigeons that win the, the 500 miles now, mm. they've always got European blood in them. But, so. but all pigeons here, like I've read a history of pigeons, have all stemmed from somewhere in Europe originally. Oh, of course. Even the Harrisons and yep. the Barkers and all those old Aussie breeds that we call them. Yep. They're, all, they're all imports anyway. Yeah, they're just either their current imports or the, or the old original yeah, imports. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, Michael Portelli uh, wants to ask. Uh, in the past few years, there have been many problems with breeding and racing losses for many flyers. It seems there is a new strain of Salmonella that could be the cause. And my worry is that if the trend continues, it may start forcing flyers out of the sport, which will hurt all of us. I'm sure flyers there run into similar problems as well as we do here would would be great to ask Davo his thoughts on this and how flies might be able to overcome it I know there are vets here but they tend to hit people's hip pockets quite hard which also pushes people away yeah salmonella it, it is a problem um, there's really no treatment for it mm. uh, but the only the only thing I, I can say about that is that you've, you've got to just find there is always a family in nature provides this mm. there's always a family that is resistant to it mm. now if you've got it and you've got it bad in your loft mm. I would think that you would have to start again mm. uh, get a completely new start and get rid of the pigeons if if you if you're convinced you've got it. Mm. But I've heard of lofts that, that's had it bad mm. and have done virtually that, cleaned them out, just worked on the ones that's left. Mm. Uh, I don't think you can treat it. I've heard that there's a, there's a, a, a vaccination out for it. Yeah, there is. There's one available in Europe, and I believe in Europe they have a triple vaccine, so you can vaccinate for PMV, salmonella, and there was something yeah. else. Yeah, but they, they reckon here, I've inquired about it here to very... So I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know about it, but I do know that if there was a vaccine and it was proven, if mm. it's got to be proven, mm. that... Uh, you know, I don't know whether they're, they're, what their qualifications for proving it overseas is, mm. but if it is a problem, mm. and, and it could be, because I'm not a vet, I don't no, know. that's right. Uh, but I do know that if I get pigeons that continually don't come up in their body, mm. I don't muck around with them. I mm. mean, it's been good pigeons for some reason or other. They've just gone off uh, and they lose it. Mm. Um, 
get mm. rid of that one, take mm. another one out of the flying box, mm. put it in the stock box. Mm. Uh, you know, you've just got to keep moving them around until you find the ones that's got a natural resistance. Mm. Even in the wild, mm. families of birds will go down, wild birds, and others will move in mm. the same breed and live in that area because mm. they're, they're probably... I think when when the first lot of European pigeons started coming in here in the in the early 90s, mm. I think uh, it was probably around about the time when I made the video, probably around, around about the 90s. Mm. Um, I think that there was a, a canker strain that came in mm. and that that really ran the pigeons down and it took the, the local pigeons a long, long time to mm. to actually get a, a bit of an immune system yeah. going. Mm. And mm. I think that that's what, if Salmonella is going to do that, mm. that's the only way around it if we can't get a, a vaccine. but Well, apparently there is one available in Europe and I believe you can get a Salmonella vaccine here, but... Uh, when I asked the question to a vet, uh, he said the salmonella one one was, oh, yeah, that's right, the PMV one was water-based and the salmonella vaccine was oil-based, so you can't mix them together. That's possible. That's mm. probably right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, I know you can't whip <laughs> an oil-based paint with a water No, exactly paint. right, yeah. So it makes sense. It's logically thinking. It makes sense, but... Um, in Europe, they've developed a triple vaccine, so I don't know whether our government won't let us bring it in or what what the hold-up is there. But there's a lot of flyers on the internet, I know, that ex- expressing that fact that they'd like to get something that would just vaccinate them in one shot. Like, as, as one guy said, he says, I'm sick of giving my pigeons needles all the time. You know? Well, I know. If, if it's only a vaccine and you've got to do it um, twice a year... Um, mm. Well, when you add the pox to the PV and, and then you had to get another one, mm. it would be starting to get a little bit where it's getting beyond. Mm. Just you'd, you'd be for always jabbing them. That's right. Exactly right. Um, I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of that. No, I don't either. That's why I think that, you know, maybe we should, as flyers, question the vets and, and, and give them the... The suggestion: Can we do this? You know, maybe, and maybe someone will come up with the answer. Yeah, well, if they're doing it overseas, uh, maybe. Mm. I did hear that there was a, a vaccine for Salmonella a long time ago, but mm. um, no, I don't know of any way of doing it. Mm. Uh, Bruce Kellett asked me to ask you about the indigo cock that topped the Fed for him in two thousand from five hundred miles. And it wasn't 500, it was 400. 400, was it? Yeah. And Bruce is not even in Australia, so how did you get that? Oh, he's on the internet. Uh, he's on the internet. <laughs> yeah, he's on the internet. And he, he goes on to say here, I bred it and, and he raced it uh, as it was a present for June as Davo doesn't like different colours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was a, uh, a very unusual colour. Mm. Um, but it it was it was an early next morning there was no pigeons on the day Mm. it was 400 mile race and uh, he was in before daylight Mm. um, very early actually Mm. and there was must have been a little batch of pigeons because there was four pigeons and there was only a meter or two separating the four of them early Mm. next morning which you know but it was 
half an hour before sunrise. Mm. So, you know, I thought when mm. I got him, I thought, geez, that's a good one. I, everyone thought the same. Mm. And but they, they must, uh, I don't know how, where they came through. But, mm. Yeah. And I've read somewhere on the internet also that your um, record hen, you refu- you refused to sell her, and um, she turned twenty. She's twenty year old. She's yeah. twenty year old now. Yeah. Yeah. And and she's already living eight years longer than the average pigeon, so she's in good health. Is she still? She's not producing anymore, is she? She did up to two years ago. Really? Uh, yeah, but she no, she's still there. And that's your most prized possession that one is it well it was the the biggest thrill i think i've ever got out of mm. it because it was it was uh like i said it was a uh, thousand and seventy five kilometers and mm. i had another flyer sit with me and we were we were sitting we thought it was a chance that night and it had been dark for mm. it had been dark for an hour mm. and i knew that there was pigeons into sydney mm. in a in a, a liberation up a bit earlier mm. And ours were up behind them, and we we got an extra hour's fly. Mm. And I knew they were in at seven, and and, and she was here at uh, twenty three minutes past mm. eight. And mm. I heard her whoosh around in the, in the dark. We just heard swoosh, <laughs> and, and I got the shock of my life. Mm. Uh, and yeah, to be the only pigeon home on the in the fed on the day. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, well, it's the only one that's ever flown that race point on the day. Mm. Hmm. So it was the biggest thrill, um, hmm. and it's like I said, she's still there. Twenty, you know, she's twenty year old. It's hmm. fantastic. And she was bred out of two euros. Yeah, and what 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 bloodline is she? Well, the hen, the the mother came from John Brizzlin, mm-hmm. and it was uh, a Dewitt. Okay. It, it was the sticker bolt line yeah, of, yeah. The, of the Dewitt. Yeah, and and the father came from Keith Sagas. Mm-hmm. And it was a sticker bolt line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had brothers and sisters that never did anything, mm. but uh, you know they can't all do it. But, no, not um, every pigeon's a champion. <laughs> and it's bred me three hundred mile winners, but never bred a pigeon to fly that distance. Yeah, well, we haven't flown Bundaberg since then, nineteen ninety five, ninety four. Yeah. No, we haven't flown Bundaberg since. Mm. But uh, yeah, it was a great thrill. No. And it was a straight Euro. It was actually off the... It had very, very good pedigrees mm. like on the, the sticker bolt line. Mm. Mm. In closing this interview um, and thanking you for your time also is uh, I believe you've got an entire room dedicated to trophies that you've won over the over the years. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> All right, mate. Thank you for your... Okay. Thanks for your time, Davo. I Thank, appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Your voice in the community. 88.3 Southern FM. Oh, well, Tony, it's come to the end of the program and it's time to say goodbye to everybody. So goodbye, mate. Goodbye and we'll see you next week. Yeah, goodbye and goodbye to everybody around the world. And we'll catch up next week. All right, mate. Uh, thanks a lot and uh, we'll catch you next week here on Pigeon Radio Australia. Cheerio, everybody. So, stop the pigeon, stop the-